This is Jeffrey Sachs, editor of Tradition. We are in troubling and traumatized times here in Israel and around the Jewish world. As we continue to wrestle with the state of anxiety for what comes next, taking strength from demonstrations of inspiring resilience and unity in our nation, we hope you've been following the content recently published on traditiononline.org, responding to current events. In our upcoming winter issue, we hope to deliver some more substantive writing, tentative and initial as it may be, bringing the lens of Orthodox Jewish thought to bear on this war. In the meantime, as we try to make sense of things while navigating the maze we find ourselves in, we thought it would be useful to check in with tradition's elder statesman, Rabbi Emanuel Feldman, whose wisdom, insights, and opinions, even when you disagree with them, cast useful light in the darkness, perhaps even more so as he enters the back end of his tenth decade with all the intellectual rigor readers of our pages have been used to since his first early contribution in 1960. We discussed the current Gaza War in light of his memories of the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War, the challenges to Zionism and religious Zionism going forward, and his cautious optimism for a renewed Jewish spirit when the fog clears and we emerge victorious. Rabbi Emanuel Feldman served in the rabbinate in Atlanta for over 40 years before making his home in Jerusalem. He edited our journal with distinction from 1988 to 2001 and remains a valued counselor to the current editor. Rabbi Feldman, welcome to the Tradition Podcast. You need no you need no uh, welcome to tradition, which is, of course, uh, your home uh, after your so many long years of contributions to our journal. But we wanted to talk today about the very serious moment that the Jewish people here in the land of Israel, where you and I have made our homes now for, for quite a while, and of course, to all of our readers and listeners in North America and worldwide. You wrote the following. It is beginning to look very serious. On Friday, more reservists were called up. All day long, they were moving up and down the street in army trucks, jeeps, motor scooters, and any type of vehicle they could muster. Many were simply taking buses or taxis to the pickup points. Others were hitchhiking. The climax, the climax was reached Friday night. Rehov Akiva was alive with tumult. More cars, army buses, jeeps, postmen delivering telegrams, noise, knocking on doors, ringing telephones. Men were being picked up all night, and even more so on Shabbat morning. In our little synagogue, a soldier walked in tapped several men on their shoulders as they prayed. They turned, followed him out, went home, said goodbye to their families, and went off with him. By now, there was no longer a six-hour notice, and the men were lucky to get 15 minutes. During the worship in the synagogue this morning, we were constantly interrupted by the roar of traffic outside. Will I ever forget the sight of the men in Streimlach and long black coats, their earlocks dangling at their sides, riding off to war in jeeps. Did I say war? A slip of the tongue, a Freudian slip. I hope it won't come to that. The crisis was, of course, the main topic in the synagogue and the main subject of the buzzing conversations on the street corners. Tonight, I was rather unworried, but everyone's concern is beginning to make me concerned. Anxiety is contagious. Now, of course, these words reflect very much our own moment but they were indeed written over 55 years ago. 
They were published in a little book called The 28th of ER, which was your memoir, your diary of your time here spent on sabbatical away from your Atlanta congregation, a year that you spent here living in B'nai Brak while you were teaching at the adjacent Barilan University. But of course, it returns to us past being past being prologue. It returns to us with so much force and meaning uh, today. So as you look at what's going on around us and as you consider your past experiences here over many decades in Israel and long visits, uh, sojourns, you once called yourself in those days a temporary resident, uh, Ger Toshav, during the Six-Day War and then later your time spent here following the Yom Kippur War. How do those experiences and those memories resonate with what we're going through now? How are things the same? How are things different? Yeah, very, very. The, the, when you read that excerpt, it really touched me. It moved me, even though I wrote it, you know, <laughs> because it's uh, very similar to what we went through here and maybe are still going through uh during this uh the war which is now five weeks old about um there was one major difference though between what we experienced then and what we're experiencing now that is then we had a month or two of huge tension prior to the war um Egypt nightly was was uh, coming on the radio. Nasser was saying we're going to destroy everything. Uh, Jordan was doing the same thing. Uh, the Arabia was doing the same thing. Everyone was threatening for a month, and then meanwhile the United Nations was uh, dilly dallying as usual. Lyndon Johnson was president of the United States, and uh, Abba Ibn was sent to talk to him, and he was. Even Abba Ibn, in his all his eloquence, was unable to move Johnson, um, at least as far, as far as we could tell. So the tension in the air that month of May was uh, so thick that uh, I still remember it, and I still get a, 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 a eerie feeling when I relive it. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any tension here. No, it landed like a complete shock, like a bomb, surprise. You know, in the middle of Simchas Torah dancing. You know, so that was a ma major difference. Of course, now we have tension because every day, Nebuch, there are casualties, there are funerals. The Chatufim, which some of whom are going to be released, apparently. I should this, say we're recording this, this on... The day before the anticipated ceasefire and initial oh, yeah, hostage release, we hope it will. Yeah, the anticipated pause in the in the um, in the war and so forth. So we never had the tension then. We have a tension now. It's like it's an envelope. It's right. it's, it's inside out. Um, but the reaction of the people is similar. I mean, the Israelis are great people. You know, they can be very frustrating. Uh, they can be, you know, very, very um, annoying in many, many ways. Uh, but they're great people. You scratch them, they're, they've got a lot of guts, they've got courage, they've got faith. You know, we see, we've seen, I think, the most remarkable thing over these 
six weeks is the degree to which the nation as a whole, the citizen nation, has risen up sometimes when the elected government has been quite ineffectual. The citizen nation and the Jewish people worldwide yeah. have really stepped up to hold things together. The, 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 the meaning of pikud ha'oref, the home front, really does take on different meaning when we understand that every house is baking challahs and cakes for our soldiers and people are raising money worldwide not to send little extra treats but to send essential equipment to 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 our soldiers to to the nation of israel uh this is a really incredible thing it's an indictment to a certain degree on the government but it's a, a mark of great merit to the jewish people worldwide and and those of us here know who who have done that and is that something that you recall happening to this degree yeah the the similar similar thing happened identical thing happened in then in uh, 1967 yeah uh everyone rose up and finally joined together and became amichod one people you know it's the, the surprise is that just two months ago we had these um demonstrations against the government right uh, for democratia or whatever that means and for uh, judicial reform uh, judicial reform uh it looked like the country was tearing itself apart and uh, now we are as one one, one need not be a uh, prophet to make some kind of prophetic statement that these things are somehow connected if not in geopolitics, then certainly yeah. in our imagination. Yeah. That uh, exactly at the moment. Uh, but I wonder what will happen in Mirz Hashem when Bezras Hashem, the war is over, hopefully successfully. Well, a lot of t- will we go back to the demonstrations again? We probably well, will. Whether the demonstrations are just the general, the general state of disunity. Yeah. Uh, it's a serious question, isn't yeah. it? In other words, yeah. now we're all we all take great solace in the unity. Yeah. that we have now in in that little piece that i read from 67 you describe men with uh, with payas and uh, kapotas going off on jeeps on shabbos and we have seen of course a certain number of uh, b'nai yeshiva uh, haredi uh, yeshiva young men uh, drafting yes. uh, to 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 go into the army whether they're going into battle or into other important tasks or volunteering to, to do all yeah. types of things um the degree, and you know, you have long been a figure on the in the liminal space between the religious Zionist world, with you know some very serious uh, bona fides in the Haredi world, not just your, not just uh, members of your family, but you yourself, and you keep a foot on each side of that troubling divide. They call that a split personality. <laughs> there, Schizo- there are medications for that now. <laughs> re- religious schizophrenia. But uh, but how do you see that particular divide between the Haredi world and general Israeli society, between the Haredi world and the religious Zionist society? Uh, how do you see that playing out now relative to experiences in the past over the last number of decades? Yeah, with, uh, with the wounds that we're suffering and with the pain that we're going through, you know, I hope, maybe hope against hope, that maybe some of these painful divisions between the various groups that you outline, maybe they'll somehow ease up and we'll begin to look at the other side 
and 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 see what they're thinking, and they'll look at us and see what we're thinking. I'm hopeful that, that it will ease up because we need we need uh, a unity in order to in order to combat what's going on because we're attacked from all sides: north, south, uh, east, and the west is the ocean. But we've also been attacking ourselves from within, and that's within, something that yeah, yeah. we hope will be ameliorated yeah, uh, yeah. afterwards. I, in an yeah. editorial, uh, you know, trying to live up to your high standards, uh, in an editorial for tradition, I wrote that when we're all, when we, religious Zionists who take our religious Zionism seriously, when we look to our left and we look to our right, we're encouraged. We're encouraged by stories of of Chiloni, um, non-kosher Tel Aviv eateries that have gotten a hechsher in order to prepare food to be sent off to the troops. And Chiloni soldiers who ask to be given pairs of tzitzit, and we've seen this worldwide campaign to tie uh, army green uh, tzitzit, uh, uh, you know, which is, I think, just a remarkable thing. And on the other hand, I remember in one of the very early days of the war, driving through a Haredi neighborhood in Yerushalayim and seeing yeshiva younger men standing on corners, giving out those plastic Degel Yisrael, Israeli flags that you can attach to your car window and yeah. drive and drive yeah. by. These are people who yeah. I presume are not saying yeah. Hallel with or without a brach on Yom Atzmut, right. but recognize the significance of this state that is then busy protecting them yeah. and their and their religious lifestyles, something which isn't always recognized. Right. But it, it occurred to me that unity has to be more than just feeling vindicated, that the person who yesterday on my left and on my right disagreed with me are now aligning themselves with me. In other words, unity has to demand something. Well, the, question is, the question is, is this because there are no atheists in foxholes? And will it continue after the war? Right. Right now, we're all in a desperate strait. We would like to think that the secular Israeli will be drawn closer to tradition, to observance, in the ways that we've seen some marks. Wouldn't it be nice if that non-kosher restaurant kept the hashkacha and closed on Shabbat? And we'd like to think that Haredi men who are sitting and learning Torah and contributing to Jewish life in that way will have a deeper appreciation for their brother Israelis who instead go off to fight in her wars. But what about us? What about our religious Zionist community in the middle? What's the challenge to us? How are we going to grow, expand, transition in a way that we are a greater force for Achdus? It can't just be because, well, anyway, we're in the middle to begin with. The left will come to the right and the right will come to the left and we'll all meet happily. What's the demands on us? What would you say? The demands on us are, <laughs> I'm not a religious Zionist. As a matter of fact, I'm not, par, I'm not a, 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 uh, an affiliate of any party. Yes, pers- but Rabbi Feldman, pers- anybody, anybody who visits our archives yeah. or your many hundreds of thousands of other published words that are available online, yeah. understand that you are a religious Zionist in the sense that you ascribe religious meaning to our life here right. in the land of Israel. Religious and you, I'm and a you also ascribe meaning. I'm a Zionist in the sense of Tzion, and I'm religious. I hope to be, re- okay. I hope I'm religious. So maybe that way I'm a religious Zionist. Are there such a things, are there things like irreligious Zionists? 
Yes. Yes, yes many. Yes. The secular Zionists. Yes. And there are also irreligious anti-Zionists and religious anti-Zionists. Right, right. And we, we start can, a new party. Right, we can create the Punnett Square. Right. But, but Rabbi Feldman, in all, in all honesty, let me challenge you there. Right? You're a religious Zionist in the sense that you ascribe religious meaning to our existence here in this land, and you ascribe meaningfulness to the state of Israel as an instrument to advance that. In my book, that's a religious Zionist. I don't care what party you are or are not a member of. Are we agreed on that? More or less, okay. yes. So what do you think the challenge for religious Zionism going forward is? The religious Zionism is, to, I think, is to reach for, for real authenticity and not to be... Um, tempted into imitating secular Zionism, but to, but to reach into oneself, into ourselves, into our sources, uh, both literary and religious and personal and spiritual, and become what we're supposed to be, mm -hmm. which is really, really, truly religious Zionists, and not just religious Zionists as a political thing. Yes, okay, that's fair enough. You made a second uh, sabbatical here yes. uh, shortly after the Yom Kippur War. Yes. This is all before in the early 90s when you, you came on Aliyah. You've made your home here ever since. After the Yom Kippur War and, and the Six-Day War and the Yom Kippur War were such drastically different yes. experiences over the course of a few short years. The Six-Day War was seen as a miraculous salvation and with, of course, the return to principally to the old city and to the Kotel and to Yehuda Vishomron and our holy places. It was seen, you know, rel you know, every life of course is a, every lost life is of course a tragedy, but with relatively the light uh, losses and lightning speed victory, it was brought great jubilation, but it also brought a certain degree of hubris, which came crashing down in 73 at the Yom Kippur War, which although we emerged victorious very close it was hard to celebrate and whether yeah. you ascribed it to blind luck siata uh, deshmaya or choose your choose your cause of of choice uh, there was a real sense that we made it through the Yom Kippur war by the skin of our teeth yeah um, and you witnessed a very different country in that year that you spent here uh, in in seventy four seventy five right. uh, that year you were here in in Yerushalayim yes yeah? so in a little essay that you published in Traditions Fall seventy five issue called Israel Torah and I Musings of a Temporary Resident you say the following I find it all so worrisome what is evident here and in so many other parts of the Bible is that we have never been promised Israel as a blank check. There are simply no guarantees from God which ensure continued and permanent existence for the Jewish people in Eretz Yisrael. The mere fact of our sovereignty over the land at any one period in history has never implied that we would be eternally sovereign over it. On the contrary, it is a major teaching of Torah that the Jewish people has to earn the right to dwell in the land. And whenever Jews stop earning this right, Jews stop living in the land. Now, on one hand, this is a simple, obviously patently true historical reflection, but it also is a reflection of a certain amount of pessimism that was rampant in the country uh, during those times. And over the past number of weeks, I've, I've like so, like everybody, my emotions have been 
all over the map. And every day I'm feeling uh, simultaneously contrary emotions and feelings and, and constantly on the verge of tears. And each story is worse than the next. And you really do sense that we are both Am Levadad Yishkon, that we are really alone in the world, despite some welcome support from the United States and other places, but we really are alone. And, and, and I assume that our I assume that our friends and colleagues who teach on university campuses in the United States and our listeners who are students in some university campuses in the United States really understand that in a very sharp way these last few weeks that they didn't before. But we're also in Amkatan. We are a small little nation. And when you turn on that radio in the morning, and you open the radio and you hear that there were six or seven or eight or God forbid more soldiers that fell overnight um, and you wait for the names you're certain you're going to know someone. I mean, there's only ever one degree of separation, right? You know someone, or you know someone who knows the family, right? It, it, it's, it really hits you in that way. And you walk through the supermarket and you're just on pins and needles. And it's, it's just I mean, it's just exhausting. It's emotionally exhausting. But there's, there is something of this pessimism of what you write in 75, where you feel now, and hopefully we're beginning to come out of this, I don't want to use the metaphor of the dark tunnel because that has taken on a completely different meaning these these few weeks. But we're maybe beginning to see a light at the at the end of at the end of the tunnel. Uh, but nevertheless, there's a certain pessimism about what's happening in the state and what the future of the state and what the meaning of the state is after after something after something like this. So, how do those words come back to you from from well, that essay? Which, all, which, by the way, we should say. When this essay was published in, in 75, yeah. you got a little pushback to it. Yeah. First of all, you read very well. And if my book ever becomes a, a reading oh, I book, can, I, I want you, narrate to, your do audio the, I want you yes. to do okay. the reading. We have a deal. Okay. Now, the point is, I don't know whether I would say anything different today. Mm -hmm. um, we, we are spiritually very far from what we're supposed to be and what we should be. I think the kochi ve'otsem yodi, my power, my strength, took over. Mm. Certain I mean, arrogance, militarism. Certain military ar arrogance in general, pride. The stories going around that there were warnings about uh, Hamas with the gates, uh, doing some drills, and, and the, the commanders. Oh, we were so certain that this three billion dollar wall would keep everything out. Right, and the and Iron got Dome. got knocked down like a... Right, the Iron parts. Dome and the electronics and the drones. And, and, and the army took hours and hours to get, get to, uh, to the uh, poor, poor civilians. You know, maybe Kochi ve'otsem yodi will be one of the casualties, and that would be good. Yeah. Um, a little humility. Yeah, a little bit of humility, a little, and humility leads a little bit to uh, reaching out for, for a higher power. Um, vulnerability is the key to being a religious Jew, not invincibility. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, we Israelis, we, we, we began to believe that we're invincible. And this really knocks us down to the status, or maybe pulls us up to the status of vulnerability. Right. We're vulnerable, right. and that's what religious life is all about. Right. Well, you know, one of, I think, the more troubling 
questions is look in other words you've taught us so many times in your writings in the words of that uh, great sage that uh, that it's it's tough to make predictions especially about the future uh, but, <laughs> is that uh, yogi bera uh, that, that's uh, the great uh, rib yogi um, but but nevertheless you know looking back over your long career and your long career as a as a writer, as a public intellectual, as an observer of Jewish life. Uh, you know, we look at what you had to say after 67, after 75, there are other articles we could, other essays we could pull from the archives to, to use as lenses onto our current moment. But I think one of the things that really is different here is a sense that, yes, in the past, there were terrible things that happened here and there were attacks that either came by surprise or came with a long buildup. And of course, the nature of war is people go out to kill and to be killed. And not all of them are wearing army green. Civilians are also killed on all sides. But what we saw this time was, and I think people are correct in calling it, a pogrom. The 1,200 civilians, men, women, men, women, children, babies. I mean, we've seen the, even if we haven't seen those, those what I'm told are horrific video uh, documentation, we've seen the photographs, right, of, of children's cribs splattered with blood, things that we haven't imagined since the Shoah or since Kishinev 120 years ago. And part of our return to the land of Israel, whatever position you hold in that Punnett Square of religious, secular, Zionist, some other form of attitude towards Zionism, the promise of Jewish sovereignty of returning to our land was that, yes, we were going to have to fight, and yes, we were going to have to sacrifice. But pogroms were something we left behind in in Kishinev. That was the galut. That was the galut. Yeah. And without expecting you to make a prediction for how these events are going to change the meaning of the state, the meaning of of Zionism, uh, you know, how do we process what's what's your what's your initial hot take on on what this now means? Oh, because I... this really is different in the 75 year history of the of the country. This is different, not just in scale, but in type. Yeah, I have I have no good response to that. I'm still very worried, and I would still I'll still remain worried about what we're going to be like uh, down the road. Uh, maybe we're just kicking the can down the road. I don't know. Um, the promises, the early promises that if you have a sovereign state, anti-Semitism will go will, will stop. You know, these are jokes today. Yeah. They're hollow. Um, there are many, many mistakes our so-called leaders made in the past. Many mistakes. Oslo was a mistake. Giving up Gaza was a mistake. Kicking out Jews from Gush Katif was a mistake. I mean, one, one no longer has confidence in one's leaders. The leaders have become misleaders. And so I am not uh, pessimistic, but I'm not optimistic. I'm just waiting to see what happens. And I really can't answer that question adequately. Well, maybe if we can end on, on an optimistic note. After 67 and after 73, we did see interesting trends 
in religious life, religious revival, in ways that were quite unanticipated. Uh, they may not have been exactly what you or I would have would have crafted if we could uh, we could design it ourselves. But there were some really interesting things that happened on the religious scene, and of course, you know, we've been witness to the incredible growth of of Torah life in the Haredi world, in the Dati Lu'umi world here in over the past you know number of decades in ways that uh, certainly could use more strengthening, but are, I think anybody looking at where we are now uh, from the vantage point of the 1960s, it wasn't obvious that this is the direction that, uh, that religious life was going to go in the country. And I think that we can be tentatively pleased with that. What would you think some trauma like this, what direction might it lead us? What direction would you like to see it lead us as a nation, not just within our little religious communities, but as, a, as an entire nation? How do you think that, that Judaism might come strengthened from all of this? Well, as a, as a nation, as a people, and that would go for Jews all over the world, but certainly those living in Eretz Yisrael, what I would love to see to come out of this is a greater aware, awareness of who we are, where we come from, mm -hmm. and where we're going. A little more, a little more. Again, back to the same word: less arrogance and, and a little more humility, a little more looking upward rather rather than looking at the next guy is thinking or doing. I'd like to see a greater consciousness of Yiddishkeit, of Torah, of Torah study, better tefillah, better davening, just plain old straight. Davening and Gemilas uh, Chasadim, which we do, we do beautifully during times of crisis. Mm -hmm. And uh, Torah, Avodah, and Gemilas Chasadim are the pillars on which the world stands. So I'm, I'm in that sense optimistic that the Jewish neshama will rise to the fore, and we will become what we're supposed to be become, which is an Am Kadosh. It takes a long time. But we're patient. I hope our brother Shalom is patient. And we will become an Am Kadosh. Mirz Hashem. Mirz Hashem, Be'ezos Hashem, yeah. Rabbi Feldman, your many, many, many years of, of uh, contributions, both to our pages in tradition, but to a thinking person's Judaism, are greatly valued. And it's a pleasure to go back and read so many of the things that you've done and of course our listeners can visit the the website of traditiononline.org where all of your many many your articles and your edit, editorial columns are all archived um to to dip into some of that um you championed each editor uh of our journal uh you know brings different strengths and talents and i'm very mindful of the fact that i am a small pygmy standing on the shoulders of of great men that came before me, um, but in the many years that, that you led tradition, you used the platform to publish many great works of scholarship, which is, after all, the bread and butter of what our journal is about. But you also used the platform to write that editorial column, the editor's notebook, it was called, and you know, there's some classic essays 
uh, in there of uh, you know which which you know will resound for many many generations to come. Thank you. Um, Mrs. Cooperman's Hanukkah and uh, other entertaining pieces, and these are real, just just classics. But what do you think our mission is as a journal of Orthodox Jewish thought, which again is principally publishing works of original scholarship, which authors sometimes spend months and years researching and writing and revising if they're attentive to the editor's uh, directives pushing back against the annoying editor who wants it to be something else. But at the same time, to be speaking to a religious community, not to some rarefied academic department, but to be speaking and to be real and to live in the life of a religious community that's trying to make sense of the world around it. How can we do that better? How can we be more effective in, 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 in being that platform? What what is what is the role of our journal in yeah, speaking out? I, I think we're doing. A, I think you're doing a very good job, Jeff. And I think a general tradition, the original founding purpose of tradition was to be an intellectual journal for rabbis. From there, we have expanded. We become an intellectual journal for a lot of Jews mostly modern Orthodox Jews, but all kinds of Jews read it. Uh, even Haredim read us. Mm -hmm. so, in a brown paper cover. <laughs> right, right, exactly right. Hidden inside the Gemara. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think we're doing a, a pretty good job. Um, every rabbi, every uh, modern Orthodox rabbi receives a journal, gets it, reads it, should be reading it and uh, and and uh, writes for it, tries to write for it in any case until we reject it. <laughs> and uh, no, I have no real good answer to that except to say I think we we're, we're doing a good job. But th that that challenge, that mission, that's still relevant. We can still be not just tradition, but the modern Orthodox world, largely defined, international is still a movement that is engaged with ideas, is, I, is intellectually yeah. challenged, wants yeah. to be intellectually challenged. How do we keep that up? I don't know if there's a modern Orthodox movement still existing today. But that's another, that's for another that's podcast. That's a different conversation. Yeah, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know how we define modern Orthodoxy. Norman Lamb, Zohar Lebrocha, tried to define it, but you know, it seems to me that uh, these labels are um, are only old hat. We need to get, we need to put them aside and just become uh, Jewish Jews. Okay. Well, we hope that uh, tradition will continue to be part of that. Yeah, I hope that does, and I don't think I don't. My own view is that uh, tradition should not look upon itself as a journal of modern orthodoxy. Tradition should look upon itself, in my view, as a journal of Judaism, sure. or Orthodox Judaism, but not necessarily label ourselves and put ourselves in a corner being modern Orthodox as opposed to unmodern Orthodox. Yes. Okay. Good enough. We'll have to end there. Okay. We hope to continue these conversations with you for many years to come in good health. Uh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And may Hashem give you hatzlocha and nachas in the great work you're doing for tradition.